0: The following is presented by the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina.
1: Yes, we know the truth, grab a cane, get trained, gotta get moving. Hello, my name is Steve Cook, and I'm president of the Computer Science and Technology Division of the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina. Today, we have our state president, Marty McKenzie, with us. And we're going to interview him and ask a few questions and learn more about our state presidents. Thank you, Marty, for doing this tonight. And we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, sir.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: Our first question that we have for you, President McKenzie, is, Tell us about growing up as a blind child and through your neighborhood, and well as your education, if you don't mind sharing with us.
0: So I am from Lake City, South Carolina, about halfway between Columbia and the coast, is how I think about it. Uh, I grew up as uh, in, a, in a family of four boys. I'm number three. I am the only one that's blind. The rest of them may have normal. Uh, conditions that caused them to wear glasses, but nothing that led to as I am now totally blind. Uh, I did not attend the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind. My father was of the opinion that he did not want a five-year-old child on a bus going to Spartanburg, and uh, there there were some introductory programs in the area at that point. Pilot programs, teachers of the blind and visually impaired, and Williamsburg County had one. Um, I attended the local a local elementary school, Cates-Hebron Elementary. At that point, it had a middle and a high, all in one building. It was a big U and um, and had that teacher of the blind and visually impaired that, that served me. She instilled in my parents that I should not be treated differently, that I should be given the same responsibilities, opportunities, et cetera, that all of the other boys in my family were given. And so, you know, when my younger brother got a tricycle, I got a tricycle. When he got a bicycle, I got a bicycle. So uh, maybe I need to explain family dynamics a little bit. We are, uh, there's four of us. Um, one is no longer with us, but the oldest is 12 years, uh, 10 years older than I am. And then there was eight years for that second one, and I'm number three. So mom and dad had like two families. Um, we We really had a good time growing up. We were We were not wealthy. We were actually considered to be fairly poor. But we, um, our neighbor our house was the neighborhood hangout. All the kids loved to hang out with us, and they were in our front yard throwing balls, kicking balls, um, playing in trees, just any a variety of things. Um, I did as a child ride a bicycle. Um, and later, a little Honda 50 motorcycle. I know people can't imagine me as a skinny kid, let alone as a skinny kid on a motorcycle. But I did <laughs> zoom around the country roads on that that motorcycle. Um, I wouldn't recommend that parents really do that now. But there were far fewer cars and far fewer people back then. Um, I, I guess I'm going to skip back and forth, Steve, if that's okay, because yeah, I want to. It kind of all weaves together for me. Um, I was an academic student, so I focused heavily on ensuring that I did well in school. My teacher of the blind and visually impaired, and my mother in particular, emphasized the fact that if I wanted to work and have gainful employment, I needed an education. It was the only way. Out for me. The reality is I wanted more than not having an education would buy me. And I didn't know about opportunities like the BEP program and other opportunities that exist for people to really do well. Um, so I, I applied myself academically and graduated right. number six in my class um, with honors. And uh, I went off to to college. Now, I was a long undergraduate student. I I started at USC Columbia, and I was a a little fish in a great big pond. I just wasn't ready for that. But I made it through my first year without destroying myself academically um, and transferred to Francis Marion, where I spent another five years completing my degree, because I had an illness that just really slowed me down during that time. I started out majoring in computer science, uh, not because I was great at math, but because somebody else was majoring in computer science, and I thought that would be a great thing to do. By the f- end of the first semester, I knew that, f- that computer science was not my strength, and so in calculus 141 in the second semester, Dr. John Stevens uh, called me into his office, and he said, uh, he he gave me some really turgid advice that I have thanked him for many times over, even though I've never seen him again. He said, this is not for you. You need to get out while you can. And there th- was just sage words spoken with a lot of respect. But he, he was correct. That was not where my academic gifts lie. So straight to Pettigrew, I went, changed my major to English and then transferred colleges and started on the road to become an English teacher. Um, I knew from the time I was a child that I wanted to teach. And so I I went back to that initial uh, dream, and I graduated in 1992 with uh, certification as an English teacher for grades 7 through 12. Uh, I realized at that time that the market was flooded with English teachers. And I needed to carve out a ditch for myself that would be unique to me. I needed to have a skill that no one else had or a few people had. So I entered a master's level program in special education with emphasis in visual impairment and graduated in 1994 with a um, degree as uh, a master's degree in special education. Uh, and I was a teacher of the visually impaired. And There's a little more to my education, but I think it'll fit in later with a better another question. So I'm going to kind of circle back to my childhood and the normalcy, quote unquote, I don't know if there is such a word that I felt my parents did not inhibit me and they did not overly protect me. I climbed the trees with all of the other neighborhood kids, my cousins, siblings, rode the bicycles, rode the motorcycles, did the sleepovers, uh, did the forts and uh, so forth in the wood, all of the club kinds of things that kids will do. We were very very much outdoor kids. Um, And I grew up, coming on through those teen years, I had wonderful sided friends that have been lifelong friends. Um, And the thing that you did in Lake City to entertain yourself was you cut the block. Now, people don't know what I mean by that, but you, you went down Highway 52, you turned right into the old Sonic, you circled it left out of there, you went up to Main Street and turned right and went down to the post office, and the old Piggly Wiggly, which is no longer there, you circle through that parking lot, and you went back up and turned left, and you went back to Sonic. That's what you did on Friday <laughs> and Saturday night, because there's very little other, uh, very little to do. Um, there were some trips down some dirt roads with friends, but we all know that leads to no good, and I won't go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, but I grew up um, as a part of the community and with with sighted friends, and I did not discover that there were other people who were blind like me until I entered the teen program at the South Carolina Commission for the Blind in 1985. I didn't go till the end of my junior year, and I uh, I learned then that there were other people like me in the world. And uh, but I've always had a healthy balance of. Of blind and sighted friends, there's no criticism on my part if if you have more of one than the other but i um I've often thanked my parents because they really made sure that my childhood growing up while not perfect no one's is it was as balanced as it could be. Maybe I should stop right there, Steve.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Your childhood sounds uh, very similar to mine as well. I got down in the neighborhood and did a lot of exactly what you're talking about. So for a motorcycle, I had a moped instead that I rode around. on.
0: <laughs> I might have liked the moped, better. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of touched a little bit on this next question with your college education. But uh, how did you go about choosing your career?
0: I knew that I always wanted to be a teacher. So that, once I got the computer science thing out of my system, I sought that with all I was worth. um, And I became that English teacher, but felt certain I would have trouble getting a job. In 1992, the market was flooded with teachers, which, believe me, is not true today. And so I I sat down and rationalized in my head. I don't know if I did this correctly or not, by the way. uh, But I I said, there are three first-year teachers, all equally credentialed, applying for an English teacher's job at this school. Two of them are sighted, and one of them is blind. Who is not going to get the job? Hmm. And so once I decided that I probably wasn't going to get the job, that was when I decided that I needed to become a teacher of the visually impaired. Um, The career that I followed has been very interesting. So I'm I'm gonna share getting that first job and how excited I was to have an offer letter in my hand. Uh, I did my um, internship with a local teacher of the visually impaired, now retired, Ann Smith. Many of us in the Federation know her and know the the caliber of students that she produced. Um, And I I was just doing that internship, and she said, you know, Richland School District 1 has a position that might be perfect for you. It's going to be in the local high school there, AC Flora. And so I applied for that position. I got my paper application. I laboriously sat down at the kitchen table in my little apartment, and my handwriting was terrible, but I carefully wrote out a 50-word essay that they could read and fill that thing out, and, and I sent it in, and I thought, well, there goes nothing. And so I got a call from their human resources for the district. Now, looking back on this now, I know that it was unusual. At that time, I didn't know it was unusual. Um, and that, uh, he called me in, and I we went through the interview. I dressed for the interview, as you do, coat, tie, slacks, you know, all of this stuff, and um, he didn't ask one thing about my blindness, or the fact that I came in there with a white cane, so at the end of that, I said, uh, and I called his name, and I said, you know, I'm aware that you haven't asked me anything about Blindness or the fact that I came in here with a white cane. And it may be because you can't unless I initiate it. Having said that, you have to have questions. And I want to hear your questions and be have an opportunity to respond to them. So he, he, after that, he, he asked three or four questions. And I went on about my business, thought, well, there again, that's that. Mm-hmm. Then I got a call from the director of special ed in that district. She wanted to interview me. Um, So I went in and sat down with her. Um, She has been one of my cheer cheerleaders throughout my career. And um, she interviewed me and she, um, you know, passed on. I I thought, well, two interviews. I I still didn't know what it meant. Um, My I am the only high school or college graduate in my family, parents and other siblings included. So I didn't know a whole lot about the professional world. That wasn't something that we worked in, and I didn't know people that um, did that kind of work. I attended a country church of about 250 at that point, mostly uh, farmers um, and that kind of thing. So this was all new for me, and I I was navigating these waters. Then I got the third call for an interview, and I went over to AC Flora. And I met with the principal there and she interviewed me. She had a couple of specific questions and then I didn't hear anything. So the Friday before school began on Monday, that principal called me and offered me the job. Well, of course, I accepted it. That's exactly what I trained for and what I wanted to do. And by the way, this was halfway through my master's program. I wasn't finished with it. I needed about another year, year and a half to wrap it up. I had enough to meet the requirements to get started. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I um, walked in that Wednesday because I couldn't go on Monday. And she said Wednesday would be fine. That Well, let me back up. I, I called my counselor with the South Carolina Commission for the Blind, and I called her name and I said, I have a job. I have a teaching position in Richmond, one at AC Flora High School, and she practically yelled in my ear, what? You should have told me I'm supposed to know about this and be involved in it. Well, nobody told me. No, nobody ever explained to me that a counselor should be involved in that process, I just did it on my own. I didn't know that I should, or maybe I should mm-hmm. have. I did the right thing. I didn't know that the expectation was something different. I walked into that um, classroom, and it was a little small classroom. There were boxes everywhere. There was a desk everywhere. Um, there are a few desks. It was small. There were just There was just stuff everywhere. And I was a brand-new first-year teacher. And my students were going to arrive on Monday and I had to familiarize myself with their IEPs and I had to organize that classroom there had been there was no established program in that school before there was itinerants in the district and two established programs but not one at the high school it was a resource type program and and I had to build that program. Now let me tell you that I had incredible support from the director of special ed for the district, from the lead teacher, uh, who became a lifelong friend, her and her husband, and from other teachers. And and I did it. Um, but. I I didn't know what I was doing, Steve. I just did it Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to be done and it was what I thought was expected of me. Nobody clearly laid out the road. You're starting a new program. You can build it the way you want it. You can, that what it was just, here's what you got to do. You got to teach these kids. So I spent four years at AC Flora and I expected to retire there after 30 years. Um, That was the only time. That um, I ever had to ask for a job. So in 1997, many people know Elizabeth McCown. She's a beloved mentor and figure Mm -hmm. in my life. I worked at the commission and then the School for the Deaf and the Blind. She went through the master's program at USC, got her teacher certification with visual impairment, and she already had 25 years of experience in the field. Um, And so she student taught with me. Well, I had a computer. I had JAWS. I had, um, you know, an open book. Yes, that's still a thing. Um, scanners, Braille embossers, Duxbury. Um, I, I, and, and what was happening is the education associate at the Department of Education, if a teacher in the state had questions about access technology, she referred them to me. So my phone was ringing especially that fourth year when Elizabeth was there, my phone was ringing um, on a weekly basis, sometimes more than once a week with people with questions about technology and what they should do. And and there was no book for this. I was making it up as I went along. I just Mm -hmm. was doing what I felt like I needed to do to provide a high quality education for the students that I served, and, and she said, you know, we don't need you in one classroom. We need you available as a resource for the state, and so she worked with the powers that be at the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind, and they offered me a 12-month teaching position, and I became the first itinerant access technology specialist. Now, Lee Speer, my dear friend, was the first access technology specialist based on the campus in Spartanburg. He was doing all of the same things in Spartanburg that I was doing in Columbia, but we didn't know each other. We weren't connected at that point. (laughs) So I, um, I began riding the roads of South Carolina and the students that we were targeting were students that were academic braille readers. They needed um, JAWS and eventually JAWS for windows, potentially refreshable braille displays, uh, open book that we didn't have as much back then as we do now, but this is the kind of instruction they needed and their TVIs, teachers of the blind and visually impaired, needed the support to provide those services. Um, I, I I don't know how many miles I've ridden in a car at this point in my life, but it's a lot. I did that for um, for seven years. We added um, a, an AT specialist in 2002 uh, and three. And then in 2004, the Department of Education with that director of special ed that hired me in Richland 1 in 2000 uh, or in 1993, she was then the direct, State Director of Special Education for the Office of Special Education Services at the Department of Ed. She came to the School for the Deaf and the Blind, and she said, "I think all things blindness related belong to the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind. You all have the personnel that um, that can do this." She um, offered me a job in 2001, and I did it. I was recruited and interviewed, but I could not break away. And leave my mom in Lake City, and she wasn't prepared to move to Columbia, so I had to turn that down. So what they did is they established a contractual agreement, and I began serving as the um, vision consultant for the Department of Ed um, for a period of time each week in 2004. That continued until 2010 when Elizabeth retired. Well, about 2007, I figured out that I was I had nowhere to go, and I still had a lot of energy but I was at the top of the pay scale where I was, Uh, you know, as a teacher, there was just, there was just limitations that I couldn't overcome. I went back and added what's called an ed specialist degree uh, and added my administrative work um, and added certification as a principal. The actually, the only administrative certificate that I do not hold is that of superintendent. And um, I just I elected not to do that at the time, and I really don't know what my reasoning was. It didn't make sense, but <laughs> I I would have I would have had to get a letter from that institution, and I just just I didn't do it. I, I I'll never understand why I didn't do it, but I didn't. And so I moved in to this role as principal of uh, what we called it Vision Outreach. Then now it's statewide Blind and Visually Impaired Education in two thousand and ten, uh, and Lee Spear became the Vision Consultant. And so from 2010, 2011 through 2014, I um, supervised teachers only. And that, that, that's what I did. I was working with school districts. We served a lot of um, districts then. We serve even more now. And then um, in 2015, there was some reorganization, and I was asked to return to the vision consultants position. Um, which I still I still do that work for the Department of Education, and I also supervise the team of teachers that I have. There's um, 19, 18 of them this year, and and a couple of contractors. So, the the I have been extremely blessed in my professional career. I've been I've done many presentations, been invited many places to do uh, presentations. Uh, served on many boards and uh, I, I have been so blessed to do the work that I have done um, to help the blind of the state of South Carolina um, I always want to give back and and that has been an opportunity for me I feel so extremely blessed to have never had to really ask for a job beyond that first um, that first job in 1993 I I do not want to sound like I'm bragging, Steve. That, that's not what this is. Um, truly, I count my blessings every day that I have had a, a, a gainfully, gainful employment as a person who is blind, a blind person, um, throughout my career. Uh, I hope that I have served uh, my, my clients and my students, teachers well.
1: That is a great story of your career and how you got started, and I'm sure your clients think, uh, clients and students think very highly of you. I know you and I have worked together before in the past on different projects, and I'm yes. sure we will again in the future, and uh, our next question we have for you, President McKenzie, since being elected state president the end of August for the NFB of SC, how do you feel your first few months have gone? Up, gone for you?
0: I guess we'll find out in 2024 when it's time to elect a new president. <laughs> <laughs> how people think I have done? I hope I've done well. <laughs> um, I, I'm never really. I'm always harder on myself than everybody else is. I can always look around and see what I think I should have done, maybe that I didn't do, um, but it it has been a very big game changer for me. Um, I never envisioned myself at any point in my career as the president of the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina. And the honor that the members bestowed on me by electing me as their president has been overwhelming for me. They could truly have elected anyone. They could have chosen other people. There's some really good people within the NFP of SC that could lead the organization. But they chose me. I I made myself available, but I'm not a real big political person. Um, As you might know, Steve, even in the years I served on the board, I never asked people for a vote. I just figured my work spoke for itself, and if it didn't, that was okay. Um, I was going to be a member of the National Federation of the Blind, and I'm going to support the work of it, uh, the work that we do in the movement. And so um, it's been great. We we did have a wonderful board meeting on September 17th. People have been very supportive. People have actively um, offered to help and have actually done the tasks that 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 I have asked them to do it, I feel honored and overwhelmed to serve in in this role. Um, It's not a forever role for me. I certainly don't, you know, want to occupy it um, right on. Um, We 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 have other talent and we want our younger talent or maybe some other talent around my age to, you know, to move forward with the Federation. I can't remember if this is in the questions, but I will tell you this. I got involved with the Federation in 1992, 93, right along there, because of people like Chris Danielson, still close friends with Chris, Parnell Diggs as well, his wife, Kim, Shannon, um, Steve, your wife. um, You were around some at that point as well. David Bundy, Lucy and Tim Cox, um, one of the students that that uh, was in high school at that point, Justin Williams, um, Sarah Hood, others that were part of that student division. And if we didn't have a good time being students in the student division, I don't know what group (laughs) did. Um, You could find us at yesterday's on Friday night, having dinner, everybody sitting there. I forgot Richard and Tanya, and I'm sure there are others. Um, and, And you would find, people all in my apartment on Blossom Street. And then when I moved to West Columbia, you know, there was weekends we would just gather. We just had the best time being young, blind people. Some of us with jobs, some of us in school, others getting jobs. It it was the most wonderful time uh, or one of the most wonderful times in my life. It is because of people like Ann Smith and the group that I just mentioned that I joined the Federation, it was described to me as this um, very zealous group, overly zealous group, and just was too, I don't know what the word is I want, um, radical, is the word that's been used with the Federation before. <laughs> and I thought, I was talking to Ann about it. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And Ann has provided some sage advice many times in my life that I have listened to, And I've gone back to so many times and she would pause for a minute and she'd say, you know, if you want to change something, you got to get in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And I've told people that so many times, don't just complain about something that you don't like. Be willing to put yourself out there and to get in the middle of it. And if change is needed, work to affect that change. Um, So that's what I did. I got involved with the Federation, was elected to the board board. For the first time in 2000, I served um, 16 years, and then most people know that my mom's health began to decline uh, in 2005, and of course, by the time we got to 2016, I could no longer give up my weekends. I just didn't feel like I could devote the time to um, to the Federation board that I needed to. I did remain chapter president of the Clarendon County chapter. We're small but mighty, and i um, and so I've, I've continued that for some 22 years. I don't know how bad I've messed up your questions.
1: <laughs> no, you're doing fine. And, uh, so I've heard some of the stories from uh, some of those people that you mentioned about the student division back in the early 90s and we, had a we good laugh right along with them. <laughs>
0: yeah, we were something. Let me tell you, we were something. We were a force to be reckoned with. So
1: <laughs> That's what I, I heard.
0: I will say this: I doubt um, I, I really admired, was close to, especially in the last years, uh, Doctor Don Caps and his wife Miss Betty. I don't think that Don Caps would have ever envisioned me as the president of the NFP of SC. <laughs> I just I, I've thought about that. I would love to know what he would think about where. Where I, where we are today, and my role as as the leader of this organization for this this point in time. So, mm-hmm. um, I learned valuable lessons at his feet, and uh, you may notice that I include a federation fun fact in the positive note each week. Um, mm-hmm. David Halk is sort of our resident historian. We to have it officially given him that title. And I asked him to put that together because what I realized during the pandemic is we got a lot of new people and they don't know our history.
1: Exactly.
0: They don't don't know why we are the way we are and they don't know how the Federation Center came about and they don't know that the Federation sponsored the legislation that led to the South Carolina Commission for the Blind and so we've we've been trying to include those fun facts in there, just a little short blurb to give you a nugget of the history of the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina. And I really hope people are, are enjoying reading those and filing that away. And what I really hope is that it will prompt questions and discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. Our next question that we have for you, Marty. What are some goals for the NFB of SC that you see in the future that you uh, feel comfortable in telling us all?
0: Well, that large chapter, just someone in that large chapter just asked me that question. So let's see if I can give the same four things that i had in mind. Um, Okay. First of all, um, I think that we need to work on recruitment, and retention. We need to retain the members that we have. Uh, We need to recruit new members or those members who, for some reason, they've fallen out of the federation. They've fallen out of the family. And and there's a lot of work going on. I know you're part of that committee, uh, Steve, with the membership mentoring. There's a lot of work going on in that area as we try to rebuild I don't know that the word rebuild is what we want as we try to identify who our members are. I know you saw the email um, that came through the other day. someone paid dues, and I looked in our little spreadsheet and I couldn't find them and um so I still don't know who exactly exactly who they are we We still but we shouldn't have that problem. That's a problem that we should be able to just go to our information and we should know who they are, and where they are. So I want to work on recruitment and retention and making sure we know who our members are and that that information is accessible to us. There's been a transition period as we've moved toward accomplishing this. Um, So that to me is is very important. I want people to be engaged. Uh, I want the board engaged. I want the organization engaged. Let's work together. There's no big I's and little U's for me. Uh, for those people who have worked with me, with me as you have, Steve, in, in my career, you know that I'm not a do-it-all myself person. I want people around me that will help, that will lend their voices when they agree and will lend their voices when they disagree. Because if they disagree, that's a moment to pause and figure out, okay, why do they not agree with this? What am I missing? What am I not looking at? It's time for for some reflection. Um, Looking forward to the board retreat at Rocky Bottom and um, having that time together. We're we're welcoming our friends from Texas, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Looking forward to statewide seminar and a great convention next year. We just need to establish who our members are, where they are the fundraisers, and the programs that will lead us to um, a greater positive vis- visibility. Um, we got some great people working on the Public Relations and Social Media Committee. There's 18 committees. I can't name them all in this this podcast. <laughs> I would We would be here the rest of the night. But um, there's some great committees. Um, there are people that do a lot of work in the Federation that's behind the scenes, and people don't know what they do. Um, and so we want to move it forward. Retention, recruitment, organization. We got some cleanup to do with our constitutions. These are things that are not uncommon in nonprofits. and Nobody has been negligent in what they've done in the past. It's easy to lose track of this kind of stuff and to um, not keep it current. And I'm, I'm a straight line person. I want straight lines in what we do. So that people can look back in history and say, well, that makes total sense why they did that. Mm-hmm. They did it because of this. I'm a straight line person uh, in, in terms of how we do things. I don't exactly. know that I've articulated that answer clearly, Steve, but that is a starting point.
1: <laughs> that I was going to say that the starting point, at least we we know where we need to start. And our, exactly. our last
0: question is, do you have any hobbies? You know, um, so let me tell this part of my story, which I did not share at all. Um, I am an amateur pianist and organist, and I have been on the bench for my local church for 37 years. I started at 17 years old, uh, as the organist for Floyd Chapel. I now play at Cornerstone Ministries. And, I love music, church music in particular. That's what I love. I love the hymns, southern gospel, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you're not, if that's not your thing, that's okay. But that that is my happy place. Leading a congregation in worship on Sunday morning, and because I grew up in that community that I mentioned, where their church was full of uh, farmers and you know folks who were maybe blue collar, not necessarily in professional. Um, roles but they saw a very young blind man begin leading worship with the organ at 17 years old they've never questioned what I could or could not do they've always just assumed that I could do it again Steve I didn't plan any of this it just happened in my life it Mm -hmm. wasn't what I thought It just it just happened. But I have loved my work with music in the church and um, and doing that. And I will be on Facebook live on Saturday from one to three p.m. on at the bench with Briley, B-R-I-L-E-Y. You can just follow it and you'll get the notification. He will be on the piano. I will be on the organ. It is at Cornerstone Ministries. People can visit. And then there'll be a young gentleman there that's in my community following in the footsteps. And he'll be playing some as well. My other hobbies include reading. I'm a voracious reader. So Bard and Audible are my best friends. There's always books, and I'm not going to tell you to always read the books that are really good for me. I don't necessarily do that. (laughs) I read books that entertain me, and sometimes they're a little out there. They're a little um, graphic, that kind of thing. I'm a mystery lover, love mysteries. Uh, I don't do well with science fiction. I also love the opportunity to fellowship with friends, have a meal together, play a game together, Um, do those kinds of things i um those are those are the things that take up my quote spare time unquote
1: well those are some wonderful hobbies as well Uh, i'm like you i love reading mysteries and uh all types of different books always keep count of how many books i read each year and so far this year i have read uh 190 books and my main source is bard or either bookshare one Mm -hmm. of those two but uh and as far as church hymns Mm -hmm. go uh my favorite all-time church hymn is i'll fly away oh my Shannon Mm -hmm. if i happen to pass before her I want an upbeat, upbeat version of that song played in my uh, service.
0: I, I'm the same way. The sur- The service for me is not a time for people to be sad. I have lived a wonderful life thus far and um, pray that it will continue. And so uh, I, I don't want any mournful, slow. Mm-mm. And mm-hmm. I've played so many funerals in my life and I've had several people say, this is going to be a church service. We don't want, we want what you would do. We want you to handle that organ just like you would for a church service. I thought, okay, that's what you want. I can do it as long as I got a pianist over there that can match me. And I've been exactly. blessed to have that.
1: Well, Marty, I'm sorry, President McKenzie.
0: I, <laughs> I love Marty. Uh, Thank you, Steve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I try to be professional in uh, on this, uh, but President <laughs> McKenzie, uh, I appreciate your time tonight. And for those of you listening to this uh, podcast. If you would like more information on the National Federation of the Blind, you can call our headquarters in South Carolina at the Federation Center of the Blind. The phone number is 803-254-3777. And also take a look at our new website, NFBofSC.org. We are in the process of Updating that, we have just switched over within the last month or so, and it's a learning curve, so uh, bear with us as we update that. But again, thank you, President McKenzie.
0: You are very welcome. I've enjoyed being, being with you tonight.